Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily French Show. I am your host, Nicholas Lorimer, today joined by Mr. Michael Morris. Michael, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Nice and sunny in the Cape, I'm pleased to say. Uh, I think summer is here to stay, so all good, thank you. I think uh, the weather we are experiencing is, what, partly cloudy, mostly cloudy? I don't know. Sarah Gon is also joining us today. Sarah, how are you? No, no, I'm good, thanks, Nick. It is partly cloudy. So let us get stuck into the news today. And I think let's start off today with a question that many South Africans have been asking and has kind of been a, a current through, I think, a lot of the discussions about next year's elections. When you look at the uh, polling and the fact that the ANC is quite likely to drop below 50% for the first time, meaning they will need a coalition. Um, and we've recently had the former chairperson of the IC, Johan Crickler, say that if the ANC loses at the polls, he believes that their leadership will respect the results of the election and step down uh, uh, from governing without too much hassle. Um, this question was asked also of South Africans in the IRR's latest poll. Uh, the question asked was, Imagine the ANC gets less than 50% of the votes in the 2024 national elections and didn't form part of a new government. Do you think the ANC would accept its loss or do you think it would resort to undemocratic means in an attempt to continue to govern? In that poll, 60% of respondents said that they believe the ANC would resort to undemocratic uh, means to continue to govern, while about 30% said that the ANC would accept the loss. Um, this also includes, I believe, a number of ANC supporters, which is one of the interesting things about that. About 8% of voters were undecided. Um, they didn't, or, or, or respondents rather, were undecided. So it's an important question to ask. Um, South Africa has not had a sort of normal peaceful transfer of power since, since 1994. And even then, you know, that wasn't a very peaceful transfer of power. There were a lot of negotiations and there was an enormous amount of violence in the country. So the question does need to be asked, you know, are we sufficiently democratically strong enough that the ANC uh, will willingly and happily give up power if it indeed is locked out of the union buildings after 2024? So, Michael, let me start with you. What do you make of this? Um, you, you remarked that it's kind of interesting that we even asked this question in the first place. Yeah, I think so. You know, Justice Johan Crickler is a, 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 a credible figure, I think, um, for all the, the, the kind of fudges of the IEC in 1994, I think there were some, uh, some kind of real politic considerations that um, that perhaps made it difficult to be uh, an, a, a absolutely technically uh, punctilious about, uh, about the election process. It was the first huge election of that kind in the country uh, and so on. But um, I think he's, you know, he's, he's a serious-minded figure and he's a serious figure in the South African pantheon. Um, so it's interesting that he does think, it's, very, it's encouraging certainly that he does think uh, the thoughts that he does. He says, I'm not an apologist for the ANC, heaven help me, <laughs> which itself um, says something. I'm not even a supporter, but I do have confidence in the integrity of the basic leadership of the party, that if they lose at the polls, they will go. I think there's a perhaps an important um, qualification there, the basic leadership of the party. I think certainly somebody like uh, Tabo Becky, I'm sure that uh, Sir Ramaphosa and other senior figures in the party, um, especially the, the more kind of veteran um, 
politicians who have some association with the with the old ANC, the struggle ANC, would balk at anything uh, less than simply accepting the result and moving on and dealing with the consequences. But <clears throat> the thing that um, that of course would be worrying is how a rank and file would behave, and a rank and file whose livelihoods perhaps depend on the very extensive patronage networks that have been uh, uh, kind of spread like tentacles right throughout the South African polity uh, for the past 30 years. Lots of jobs depend on it, um, incomes, favours, and so on. Um, th that is, uh, that it becomes, a, I think, a vulnerability for the party, for that basic leadership of the party that, that the judge, the former judge, identifies. Um, I think one, a second important point that he does make is in, in this, this quite delightful expression. He says, I don't think the South African public will put up with Trump tricks. If we want to get rid of them, we want to get rid of them in the ordinary way through the ballot box, I don't think they will not go if voted out. Um, and I don't think the rank and file will allow it to subvert democracy. I'm not a prognosticator. I can only go on probabilities and that's my guess. But I think that point about the public uh, is an important one. I don't think we're in a place now, uh, and, and it's perhaps the first time we've really got here in, the, in, in, in since 1994, where the public will, the, the, most of the public, and perhaps excluding diehard uh, ANC supporters who depend on that patronage that network, the, the, the bulk of the public is, would not uh, be in any mood to tolerate uh, mm. any step to subvert their choice. So, but still, a telling, uh, as you say, a telling thing that uh, that we actually even talk about it. Right. The risk. Um, and I think I think you, you you raised two really really excellent points there. Um, the one is that you know the ANC is actually such a sort of complicated patronage infused organisation, and in many ways it is quite splintered now. Um, that just because any one leader says something uh, about what the ANC will do nationally doesn't actually mean that a lot of the party will follow that. There are many yeah. MPs who uh, who are not looking forward to a particularly good life um, yeah. if they are knocked out of parliament or knocked out of the ministerships or, or you know, lose their chance of getting director generalships or whatever. Um, but then at the same time, there are also the fact that South Africans are a pretty rambunctious, rebellious, difficult to manage lot. Uh, and we have been pretty mm. much forever. There's a reason I think that, you know, governments mm. in this country have tended to try and rule it with an iron fist. It's because South Africans are pretty, um, you know, they don't necessarily do what they're told. And <laughs> I do think that the potential for a very significant popular backlash um, and new political forces emerging if the ANC did try to hold on to power would be quite significant. Uh, you know, we, we, we have service delivery protests every single day. There's lots of different factions in, in the country. You know, the police are not very uh, able to manage all the chaos. Uh, you can very easily see a lot of people getting very cross and making their voices heard uh, if, if things didn't go the way they should after the election. Um, Saurabh, what do you make of this question? Do you, do you agree? I mean, I do think Johan Krikula may be a little bit too... Uh, optimistic here, uh, but what are your thoughts? I really honestly don't know, but I'm inclined to agree that I, I think the ANC will step down, and this being Friday, I'm going to give it one reason for it, or no, two reasons for it. The one is they, the defence force is in a shambles, the police are not great, um, 
we have too many people in Parliament who couldn't run up a flight of stairs. Um, I don't think... I, I think the people who could fly, run up a flight of stairs have actually decided to vote for somebody else. Uh, that may or may not be a good thing. It depends on the who, who they <coughs> voted for. But reality is, I mean, we've got parties coming out of our ears. And while that makes for really tricky coalition politics, it also is a sign of exactly what you said about the, 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 the public. And I think it, it goes to the fact that, as sort of Michael said, that the public won't put up with it. And to some extent, it's being reflected in, you know the the range of parties we've now got available. So that's that's the one thing. The other thing, let's take it from the crime figures. You know, Looked there being um, twenty what twenty seven thousand murders in this yeah. country last year. And, and the fact is that however disruptive and terrible that uprising was in twenty twenty one. Because I mean, economically, it was you know that was probably the real just <clears throat> formed such a small amount of the murders of that year, the number of people actually killed. Um, and I, I know this is like this is really weird to talk about it in these terms, but you know we had this uprising. It clearly was an uprising of sorts. It wasn't spontaneous. It wasn't spontaneous. It, it may have developed a bit from there, um, and the number of people killed. You know, compared to the ability to murder people in their homes over an argument over the soccer or the cricket or the girlfriend or whatever it might be, which is actually the most common place people are murdered, it, it was inconsequential. Um, and I also think there's a third factor, and, and that is unlike almost everywhere in, the, in this continent, the level of independent media presentation, ownership, private, online, offline, is so considerable, that I actually think that would act as the ultimate check because nothing, nothing could be hidden. You know, running a sort of insurrection is a very public thing. Paying a backhander, not so much as we as we know. But I, I, just, I just think I, it's not even the quality of our media or the variety of what is available. It is the sheer volume and variety of what is available. And I think it would help. Right. The, the sort of the infrastructure for police state does not really exist in South Africa, I don't think. Um, Michael, what do you make of the fact that, according to the, the IRR's poll, 52% of ANC supporters, as a majority, think that the ANC would undemocratically try to cling to power? I mean, that's a kind of bizarre thing. It is bizarre. It's actually it's rather worrying. Yeah, I mean it's it's quite worrying, really, isn't it? And and one immediately thinks, you know, are these people who are perhaps among those who, who think, well, th that's what we would do. We we would, you know, it's our historical mission to run the country. We 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 won the struggle, and um, and if we get defeated, it's it's a it's a revolutionary setback. Um, and uh, you know, I think there is there are certainly some people who think that way. Um, so it is. It is quite an odd thing—a a distinct vote of no confidence, obviously, in a democratic, you know, dispensation in a party that's that's uh, committed itself to a democratic process. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it is. It is a sign of, the, I think, the level of, of mistrust that is now enjoyed by the ANC that so many South Africans don't even, you know, accept that they would abide by the very, very basic rules 
of the of the democratic game um and i think i mean sarah's point is absolutely right you know the, you put put things into perspective daily life is the crisis um mm. it's murders it's you know women can't i was just looking at this morning it, it, i think two stories involving women who completely you know in cities uh, just going about their lives ended up being raped and 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 strangled and you know and so on it's just it's just shocking it and it's um, just really part of the, the the kind of daily fabric of things um and this is the society that that um our government has tolerated uh, there were two stories that i think i shared in our, our sort of whatsapp groups um earlier this week about one was about police seeming uh indifference abusing um beating up uh, immigrant business people here in cape town there was the other one about the the nhi nhs um, surgeon from britain who was out here on holiday with his family who'd been shot uh, after being directed actually off the main road during the taxi strike i mean all these things you know, the, 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 the crisis occurs at the nexus of all these problems that we know we talk about every day. And he'd been, um, you know, directed into Yanga, was shot in the face, was still alive. And the and the family were begging the police to help. You know, obviously, these are tourists who've just arrived in Cape Town, don't know where the hospitals are. And they, and they described the police just being quite indifferent, standing aside, chatting, and just saying to them, look, you must take him to hospital. You know, we can't take him. And, that's symptomatic, I think, of exactly what what Sari is saying. This is, you know, this is daily life. This is the terrible state that the country has has got into, um, and part of that, I think, is that so many people just don't trust the government anymore. It's it's as simple as that. Yeah, I think it's also worth considering that you know, even if the ANC loses it nationally, it's not going to suddenly disappear from the country's. Uh, from many places yeah. of power across the country. Yeah. It will remain in power in, what, six mm. of the provinces, almost certainly, you know, even in a terrible election, yeah. five of the provinces. They'd still control the vast majority of municipalities across the country. Um, and so those sort of, the, the entire patronage machine won't actually sort of be unbolted in one instant to everything going down the drain, which I think does help to reduce the likelihood that the ANC would try to risk it all on something um because you know yeah in yeah. many places i think that's just saying look, Popo and it, not going to stop flipping mm. Yeah, and I think there are probably many people in the ANC who are thinking, well, you know, it looks as though a serious uh, disruption is is likely in the next couple of years. Um, now is the time to start planning the you know the kind of longer view the the comeback. You know, we'll 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 go into opposition for however long it takes, but we'll we'll you know design the comeback. Um, <laughs> that that might be an even worse um, prospect, but but nevertheless. Uh, I think you're right. I think, you know, it's not as if there's going to be the sudden. <clears throat> exactly. Um, that That is what the mm. Peronists, who are who are quite similar to the ANC in many ways, uh, were like in Argentina. Um, they lost mm. power mm. to a free market reformer who then didn't manage to kind of succeed in pushing through the reforms, and then they came back to power. Um, although they're probably going to yeah. lose this election, but we'll have to see. Anyway, uh, okay, mm. let's move on to our next story. And this is an interesting new uh, article in The Economist about competition in South Africa. 
Um, and the, they, they focus on this through the lens of a place where there is a lot of competition in South Africa, and that is the restaurant market or the fast food market. And in particular, uh, the fight over spicy chicken. So uh, Nando's, famous South African brand now is all over the world. More than 1,200 branches across 22 countries was first opened in 1987. That's quite the time. You think about what was going on in the country in 1987, you know, wouldn't make a lot of sense if you told an investor, oh yeah, no, I'm gonna open a, a spicy chicken restaurant now, but it's gone on to become hugely successful. Um, anyway, uh, you know, so everyone knows uh, Nando's, but it has been in recent years facing a new competitor called, not very creatively, Pedro's, which is very similar in the sort of aesthetics they go for, in the, uh, the food they serve, that kind of thing. They just tend to be a bit cheaper. Um, and, you know, Nando's as, as CEO, when interviewed about this, says that he welcomes the competition. He says, while Pedro's may attempt to, uh, attempt to resemble us more than most, they certainly aren't the only ones. Um, and it isn't doing our business any harm. We're still succeeding in the marketplace. And as a result, customers now have more options and prices are coming down on some of these things, despite the fact that the chicken market has been you know, ravaged by all sorts of things, including the recent outbreak of bird flu. Uh, you know, you now can get this greater variety and lower price of chicken than you have in the spicy market before. But that's not really the case in the rest of the South African uh, market. In fact, in many cases, we find that it's the big players who are the only ones really left. Um, and, you know, the ANC, it frames itself as this kind of socialist organization that's trying to um, you know, limit the wrongs of capitalism and break up, you know, as, as, as what was the phrase during Zuma's years, white monopoly capital. Mm. And it has created this enormous network of mm. regulations, things like BE, things like, uh, you know, kind of taxes, red tape, uh, requirements for every business, minimum wage laws, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can kind of, you know, find many examples. And the effect has been essentially that many, many small competitors have been shut out of a lot of South African industries and just can't really grow. So what do you make of this? Uh, the, the Economist kind of goes on to say that South Africa's economy, according to the IMF, would be significantly larger if we had uh, loosened up the rules about competition in the country. Well, you see, I think the problem, I think I mean, look, the only thing that needs to be said is yes, red tape, government, it must all go, we've discussed this till the, we blew in the face and all of this is correct. The problem I think with the chicken industry is it's it's one of those things, it's, it's, and it's similar industries where you can't take 5% off 22 billion rand contract um, by way of being the middleman. Um, chickens, less than, you know, they, 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 they cannot be corralled by the by, by the government, the it really is a private sector industry. It, 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 it's, I mean, I suppose a really big player could do something with it. But if you think about it, it's not just Pedro's and, and Nando's. I mean, you see adverts for muchachos and all sorts of places where they're filling niches that are to do with with the sort of variety, cost, and cost is big because I mean Nando's, relatively speaking, is expensive. So. You know, people are doing what people should do that the government really cannot understand, and that is take an idea that works and fill a gap or fill another gap or, you know, fill the fact that you're hungry and you've got a gap. And it's that that 
suggests that if the government could be got out of the way, the possibilities in South Africa are endless because people are creative. I mean, the advertising in the chicken industry has to be amongst the best and the worst that South Africa can offer. Great. <laughs> Absolutely great. I mean, hell, Nando's advertising, particularly a few of a few years back when it was the dominant player because it pretty much was the only player other than KFC. And, I mean, look at KFC. Everywhere I go where places have closed down because of COVID, something's come up and it's usually a KFC. So, you know, the, I, I think we the cause is – you know, let chickens run the government. Um, <laughs> no, I still remember a chicken licking ad for, I can't remember, it was like wings or something, and they had, uh, it was this person driving around on a scooter, and they had a little orange monkey that just slowly grew bigger and bigger and bigger. It was like an orangutan. <laughs> um, and then uh, they, they, it was an analogy for the craving of needing the, the chicken wings. It was really memorable. Um, also, the the great chicken licking ad where the guy um, travels the world looking for a great chicken burger, and he ends up, you know, leaving South Africa on a raft and then goes to Europe. And it actually got kicked off of TV for apparently being insensitive to colonialism or something like that. <laughs> anyway, um, Michael, what, what do you make of this? I mean. It's, you know, we have a, a, a competition commission, mm -hmm. uh, and yet yeah. South Africa is a place where over the last you know couple of decades we've seen big firms sort of be the only ones left. It is. Uh, it's a com complete irony, really, isn't it? Um, the, the phrase that I've just kept been thinking of while Sarah was talking was, was that, that, that classic uh, ANC one, quite apart from white and not capital, but is disciplining capital. I've always found that to be such an interesting <laughs> the ANC wants to discipline capital. And that, I mean, that protective impulse, I think, is is quite misguided. As Sarah says, if you just let people be imaginative and innovative and get on with finding solutions, they're actually jolly, jolly good at doing it. Um, I've often thought housing, you know, housing is, is not, not something that people struggle actually to provide for themselves. If you just mm -hmm. provide the opportunity and the means and so on, you could probably have much better solutions than, than uh, are, are provided by at a huge cost by the state and too far away from wherever people want to be. Um, so I think, yeah, I think absolutely right. Um, uh, it's it is a kind, it's almost a kind of leap of faith. You, there, there is this impulse that you want to protect customers, and you want to protect this and protect that, and keep everything going smoothly. And well, in fact, no. The 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 trick to a thriving society is one. There's that wonderful phrase, creative destruction. I think it's used in the, mm. the, the, the very fascinating book, Why Nations Fail. But they say that you know the, these two kind of argue that this is really. A, crucial thing to innovation and to technological change and to the, the ability of a society to adjust is that it can witness creative destruction, things that just get swiped completely out of the way, something new comes in their place. And this is exactly this quality that, that Sarah is talking about, that, that, that creative impulse of ordinary people. And if you free that up, that is an extraordinary agency, I think, for making a society thrive and meeting its needs, generating economic uh, activity and so on, as the IMF uh, appears to, 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 to argue. So, yeah, good for them. No, that's exactly right. Uh, Sarah, any, any final thoughts on this one before we... Sorry, uh, I just have to because I'm going to link a whole lot of political issues. Uh, you, there are certain pro-Palestinian groups who have promoted a boycott of Woolworths 
um, for stocking Israeli food or Israeli produce. And there's a discussion about, well, if you want to counter the protest, assuming that there is, which Woolworths says they don't have any at the moment, which I'm sure is probably right. Um, so there was some comment, and it, I don't know if it was, it was probably fake news about the Woolworths agreeing to take stuff off the shelves before you know the, the, any protest happened. So, so as some wag said, if you put that on the Jewish Mommy's website, and I mean there is one, <laughs> Woolworths will go out of business <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> the customers will take care of themselves. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think now, Sabine has that great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, we, we were talking before the show about a piece that Sarah has written, uh, and I urge everybody to look out for it tomorrow in the Daily Friend about um, the, the the Free Speech Union of South Africa, of which Sarah is director, part of the IRR, arguing that, you know, free speech really is a, a crucial thing in a society because it frees up people to actually argue the case, change things on the ground, make sure the society is kept free and vibrant and so on. And I mean, this is exactly what, what it comes down to is people deciding for themselves how they're going to behave, how they're going to act, they're going to respond to things, they're going to make decisions about the, the rightness or wrongness of, of causes and so on. Um, and yeah, and, and that's a, that is a critical thing in a society. But I think I think the idea of, uh, of, of shoppers, you know, using that muscle is, uh, that's an excellent thing. Uh, whatever, the, whatever the cause might be, I think it's, yeah, keeps the society on its toes. Okay, let's go on, I think, to our, our last topic, uh, which is going to be uh, some briefings before SCOPA, the Standing Committee on Public Accounts, which has been kind of looking into some of the allegations made by former ESCOM CEO, Andre Dorator. And uh, they've been discussing various issues regarding uh, corruption and being and, and interviewing people who have been involved in that sort of thing. Um, a retired police brigadier, Yark Berger, during this hearing, accused the state security agency, so essentially South Africa's, I guess South Africa's CIA or FBI or something, um, of shutting down investigations into uh, some of the allegations that uh, that uh, Andre Dorator was interested in. Um, he, uh, Berger said that when he received information from the private investigators hired by Dorator um, to gather intelligence at ESCOM, the state security agency did not cooperate and immediately shut down the, the investigation. He never actually saw the report that was produced by these private investigators. Um, Sarah, what do you make of this? Uh, this is, I think, not particularly surprising, and the malevolent role of the state security agency only seems to be further confirmed by this accusation. No, look, uh, uh, there's almost very little to say about it because, in a way, this evidence coming from somebody who's looking at it from an investigative point of view, outside the media that's been involved, outside all of that, and he's saying the security services has stymied, the, uh, stymied some of the investigation. Um, I don't think we're surprised at all. And that is, is probably, is almost like the cherry on the top of the rottenness in this, in this country, is that... You know, there was so much argument about where this information came from. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting a bit sort of grouchy in my old age, but my feeling is 
whatever information, it's not evidence, it's information. Whatever information you get, grab it, take it. If it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. And if it does, it saved you having to do a whole lot of work. That's how one would hope the security services would respond. Um, which, of course, only suggests is one is they're either too lazy, too incompetent, or they're protecting too many people. So kind of there you have it. You know, that's it, probably it in a nutshell. Now, Michael, what do you make of this? I mean, the state security agency has just been in the news for so long as this malevolent thing that just kind of is getting interfering in things and spying on people it shouldn't be spying on, and it's got all sorts of accusations against it. Um, you know, even the ANC has, I think, at times complained about it. And yet... It kind of seems like we're yeah. heading in this this particular uh, investigation into like a little bit like what happened with the Zonda Commission report, mm. which is it'll go, it'll all come out, people will talk about it, the, uh, the the evidence will be presented, a report will be written up, a damning report will be written up, and that will be the end of it. Mm. I mean, it's, it's it is true. Uh, we think back to that the, the shocking interview that uh, Derater gave, I can't remember, was it ENCA? Um, yeah. And, you know, in, in any other society or any other, you know, properly constitutional, <laughs> constitutional democracy, you know, the very, within hours, there would be resignations, there would be complete embarrassment, there might even have been a, um, a general election called, you know. Um, but, I mean, you know, he was talking about uh, the mafia involved and the costs of one billion a month and you know things are just, just so utterly bizarre but what i think tends to happen in the public mind is we almost think that oh so it's be, it's been exposed so it's kind of dealt with in, mm. in a sense you know and so the zondo commission has shown okay and proved and they've had all the evidence to so hear it all is okay so that's been done then let's move on but of course <laughs> nothing is done it's it is just all the information, as far as it, that, that nobody's acting on. Um, so yeah, not a not a very happy circumstance. And one, one, I think the other impression one often gets, especially with the SSA, SSA and 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 other organisations of state, is that they're far more involved in the party political and the factional disputes and vendettas and all kinds of arcane things that have actually very little to do with or almost nothing to do with the public interest. Um, and, and that's what seems to be keeping them very, very busy instead of all these other things that we need them to, to be dealing with. Oh, exactly so, right. Yeah, so I think Sarah's right. Mm. Okay, for our last story, um, and I just want some quick thoughts from you guys. Uh, very few people may remember him because he wasn't around for that long, but uh, I would probably characterize him as Joburg's worst ever mayor. Tapelo Ahmad, a member of the El Jamaha party, was elevated to the role of mayor by the ANC EFF coalition in Johannesburg, has announced he, uh, and then he had to resign um, because of, uh, I can't remember exactly what the scandal was, but I think he said something that was, or there was some revelation about him. Anyways, yes. not, go ahead, Michael. <laughs> Now, it was, wasn't it a vast sum of money that was about to be spent on some big infrastructure? Yes, thing? yes, he claimed. Yes, I remember it. It was a, 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 a vast sum of money, and then no one else <laughs> was talking about it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh, so uh, he, he's decided that uh, being fired by the ANC and the EFF for <laughs> being an incompetent mayor, which is quite the achievement, um, is not enough for him. In fact, he would like to become the premier of Gauteng province. 
now uh, he's announced this as his uh, his next goal is is that he's now going to be the premier of Gauteng. Um And you know you could maybe see some sort of arrangement where this does happen if the ANC and EFF agree to the same coalition deal in Gauteng that they did for uh, for Joburg. But considering that Al Jamaha doesn't even have one seat um, in Gauteng and is pretty far away from getting one seat, they only got zero point one eight percent of the votes in Gauteng. I think that his hopes may be dashed. Um, very briefly, Sarah, any thoughts? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I let's put it this way. If, if, we, were, if we were forced to have one of either this gentleman or Panaza the Sufi, this gentleman gets my vote. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a, I don't know about that. But <laughs> I suppose it's not an easy choice. Um, <laughs> my calling <audience>. is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, tactically, I can see the sense of that. Um, yeah, I mean, how extraordinary! Uh, uh, poor old Johannesburg. It, it really is quite something. Every day, there's some revelation which is just, you know, frankly, mind-boggling. Um, so who knows? I mean, anything, anything appears to be possible. Um, but I, I suspect Sarah's point might be the most sensible of all. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, um, yeah, politics in South Africa is a bit weird right now, so who knows? Maybe next year we will oh. be welcoming in Premier Tapelo Ahmad, uh, which should be quite something. But anyway, um, that is all the time we have for today. We hope that you found the show interesting, and we will be back next week with the Daily Friend Show. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Cheers, everyone.